Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're taping here on Tuesday, October 26th, 2021. Early voting has begun and runs through October 31st. Absentee ballot has been ongoing. And Election Day, Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021, is fast approaching. We're in the midst of an extremely important New York City election cycle, getting into more of that on today's show. These elections will, of course, determine the new class of city elected officials, the new city government set to take office January 1st, with almost all of city government turning over due to term limits. There'll be a new mayor, we know, uh, a new city comptroller, several new borough presidents, many, many new city council members, and there's other seats on the ballot, too, as public advocate Jamani Williams tries to win re-election. There's a really important Manhattan district attorney race and a number of other uh, incumbent city council members trying to win another term. And it's a very interesting and important time here in city politics and city government. Meanwhile, we've got just a couple months left of this class of city government, Mayor Bill de Blasio trying to wrap up things, announce new things, doing all sorts of things uh, as he eyes his legacy in a potential run for governor, the final days of this uh, city council class and much more. So there's a lot going on, but it's time to vote. Do make your voice heard. It's also important to know there's five ballot questions on state constitutional amendments where you can vote yes or no on each of the five questions. I'm not going to get into the details of those now, but we have you covered on that and much more at GothamGazette.com. So check out what you need from us there to get ready to vote. And if you're looking for more information as well, I'll point you to ElectNYC.org for help getting ready to vote, seeing what's on your ballot and so on. And there's, of course, other news sites and government sites, the official voter guide from NYC Votes, and much more. All right. So today on the podcast, we're looking ahead and we're looking back as we hit this monumental city election cycle and the final days of this city government. In just a moment, my conversation with city council member Eric Ulrich. He's a term-limited Republican who represents parts of Queens. We're going to get into a lot about city politics and government with Eric Ulrich in just a minute, including some retrospective on his many years in the city council, the very interesting race to replace him in the council that's happening in Queens, one of the most competitive races throughout the city in this general election, and what's ahead for the city with a likely Eric Adams mayoralty and much more. Also going to get into with Councilmember Ulrich the status of the New York Republican Party and what's ahead uh, for this city and uh, the potential for it to still be a two-party town somehow. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, first, though, if you've missed any recent episodes of the podcast, you can find Max Politics wherever you get podcasts, or we have all the episodes at the Gotham Gazette website if you want to listen through there. I've had some really interesting conversations in recent months and weeks on city and state politics and government, talking about the transition from Governor Andrew Cuomo to Governor Kathy Hochul and what's ahead with leaders like State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and others at the state level. At the city level, I've been speaking with several city council members who are hoping to win re-election and become the next speaker of the city council. That's included uh, discussions with Keith Powers, Carlina Rivera, and Justin Brannon, about to talk soon also with Councilmember Adrian Adams, who's in that mix, and others to come. And in the last couple of weeks, have spoken with Republican mayoral nominee Curtis Slewa and with consultant and lobbyist Chris Coffey, who is co-campaign manager of Andrew Yang's bid for mayor. So those have been two of the most recent podcast episodes with Curtis Slewa and Chris Coffey, both really interesting conversations, among others. So find any of those wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site. And those are some highlights. All right. Let's talk with city council member, Eric Ulrich. How are you, sir? Ben, it's great to be with you. All right. Well, I hope I didn't put you to sleep with my introduction there. Um, you did not. It was extremely informative. <laughs> you did a great job. And I'm right. not just saying that because we have the same birthday. So uh, not, yes. uh, <laughs> I, I, I was, I almost worked it into my introduction that we're, we're birthday pals, not the same, not the same year. I have a couple, couple years on you, only a couple, I think, but, um, just a few. 
Yeah. But uh, yes, we celebrate together every February 13th. So uh, everyone can mark that on their calendars now and wish us both a happy birthday come February. Um, so how are you? Are you feeling, uh, couple, you know, you've been in the city council since 2009. Uh, are you feeling emotional, wistful, uh, excited to move on to new things? How are you feeling these days? To be honest with you, I've never been better. Never mm-hmm. felt better. Uh, my uh, personal life is uh, great. My, uh, my political career and public service has been extremely rewarding. And I'm feeling very optimistic lately about the future of the city and the future of my community, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But I, I honestly have never felt better. Good. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. Um, yeah, your district, District 32 in the city council. Uh, tell us a little bit about your district. Um, how do you capture it? It's a it's a complicated district geographically. It's a very diverse district uh, racially and ethnically. It's a district that has um lots more uh democrats than republicans but you as a republican have been winning elections there how do you describe your district to uh to folks it's a great community it's a great part of queens with a lot of history uh so many wonderful wonderful families and uh so many great people have come from this district but as you mentioned yes it is extremely diverse it stretches from basically forest park um, and um, Park Lane South, all the way down to the Rockway Peninsula, Bell Harbor and Breezy Point and uh, Rockway Beach. So Rockway Beach was recently uh, discovered by the hipsters in the city, and they, they've sort of planted their flag there and, uh, and have uh, flocked there in the summertime. They've discovered what we've known all along, that it was the best-kept secret in not only Queens, but in the city when it came to having fun in the sun in the summertime. So we're really happy about that. Um, but uh, yeah, politically, it's uh, it's also extremely diverse. It's three to one Democrat. Uh, so there are three Democrats for every one Republican uh, that uh, reside in my council district. Um, it's also a white minority district. Whites, uh, according to the census data, do not make up a majority in my district. I think it's uh, roughly 41 or 42 percent now. So it's majority minority and it's three to one Democrat. And in my last reelection in 2017, which was not a good year for Republicans. Uh, don't forget, the Republicans lost the town of Hempstead uh, for the first time in 100 years in 17. They lost the Westchester County uh, County executive race with Rob Estorino. So they lost mm-hmm. all these white, suburban, more Republican, reliably Republican areas. And in that year, I got 65% of the vote. And I wear that as a badge of honor because I think it shows that my community and my constituents, um, even though they are registered Democrats, they favor Democrats, they typically vote Democrats, they are willing to cross party lines and they do vote for the person, not the party. And if you think about the, the old saying by Tip O'Neill, all politics is local. This district really personifies that in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it, it, say a little bit more about what ways. I mean, what you know, what are some of the things that you your constituents are sort of um, well, nagging politely uh, most of the time. What, what, what do your constituents care about the most? I mean, obviously, well, look, there's... my constituents care about the things, Ben, that, that I think most New Yorkers care about. They care about public safety. They want to live in a safe community. They want to raise their families in a safe neighborhood. They want to send their kids to a good school, a public school, and in some cases, a non-public school, like a Catholic school or yeshiva. Uh, they care about the quality of life. They're not thrilled with all these ATVs and allowed noise and the 4th of July that's made a comeback. I mean, they care about the things that I think most New Yorkers really care about. Good quality of life, good schools and safe streets. If you go into any neighborhood in the city, those are the things that they care about. Now, I think where my constituents differ is that, you know, some of them have been here for generations. You know, people that have been the Italian, Polish and Irish um, descendants of uh, those immigrants. And then you have folks that just got here you know, last year, and they're from Guyana, they're from Trinidad, they are from uh, the Dominican Republic, and so many other great places. So they're here for the same reasons that my grandparents, and I believe your grandparents came to uh, New York, they're uh, seeking their slice of the American dream. And they want a better life for them and their families. And, and so they settled here. But those families, those those new Americans, those new uh, residents of the 32nd district that weren't here when I was elected, in 2009, they bought a home in Ozone Park or Richmond Hill or Woodhaven or Howard Beach or the Rockaways 
for the same reason that my family uh, decided to move here. Again, they want good schools, safe streets, and a good quality of life. And that has really that has really been the hallmark, I think, of my administration providing just that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you: as we eye a, a redistricting here, um, does it make sense for the peninsula to be split up? I mean, obviously, there's probably limited a limited possibility that um, that they that the next redistricting would put the entire Rockway Peninsula in um, one district. But I'm wondering what you think about that, having represented. Uh, a, 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 about you know, let's just say you know somewhere around half of the peninsula uh, right. for the last dozen years. Rockway is a great place, um, but it's divided in a lot of ways. And um, first of all, numerically speaking, I'm not sure that you could put Rockway all in one district because each council district is supposed to have, within the standard of deviation, roughly 165,000 mm. constituents. And I think it can go up by several thousand or above that by several thousand. But for the most part, that's that's the number, 165. Uh, the population in Rockaway, when you add the east and the west end, doesn't doesn't total just that. So I'm not sure that you'd be able to do a, a, an exclusive district just for Rockaway. What the redistricting commission is is charged with doing every 10 years, like they do at the state level, is unite communities of interest. And I would argue that the people in Breezy Point and the people in Bell Harbor and the Ponza and the people living in Dayton Towers uh, have more in common with the folks on the mainland that I also represent in places like Lindenwood and Ozone Park and the South Ozone Park, et cetera, than they do with people on the east end of Rockway. The east end is more densely populated. You have public housing on the east end. They have a, their own unique issues, their own unique uh, set of circumstances out there. And I don't know that pitting the west end and the east end would be a healthy thing for the community as a whole. I've been very fortunate that in my 12 years in the council, I served with three counterparts on the East End. First was James Sanders, then Donovan Richards, and now Savina Brooks Powers, all of whom were terrific partners, were great friends, are great friends. And uh, we worked very closely on a lot of the issues that affect the peninsula, particularly after Hurricane Sandy. But that didn't mean that all of our issues were the same or that we had to work together all of the time, because there were a lot of times that we weren't uh, working together because there were things that were unique to the East End as opposed to the West End and vice versa. So I know that from an outside perspective, people say, well, it's a peninsula. Just stick it all in one district. But when you get on the ground and when you know what the communities look like and how the people feel about certain things, the people in the West End and the East End, you know, are very different. And uh, politically, ethnically, financially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even though they share the same ge- geographical area, um, you know, sometimes they're they're in two different worlds. So uh, people yeah. people have a right to be in, in in a district that that reflects their values. That's all right. I'm no, saying. it's a it's a you know, there's a lot of factors that go into districting, as you mentioned. So it's not just a ge- geographic consideration. There's communities of interest of various kinds, many definitions as you got to. It's not something I've heard a lot of push for. I just wanted to get your take on every that. 10, every 10 years, it does come up, though. <laughs> right, of course, exactly. Um, so you, you've you been one of three Republican members of the city council in recent years, 51 seats in the city council. That's a tiny, tiny minority. But you, unlike, um, often unlike some of the other Republican members, which have, uh, over the last bunch of years, have been two uh, Staten Island members, uh, from, you know, seemingly more uh, Republican conservative districts, but maybe not by a lot in the Mid-Island. Um, you have, you know, you sort of voted a little bit more with the Democrats in the council when there's things where, you know, the two Staten Island Republicans will vote against so many things. Um how have you navigated sort of your district and, you know, your uh, political ideology and representing your district and making sure that you're both doing what you think is right and also representing, you know, what your constituents want you to do, voting on legislation and budget priorities and such. And I mean that sort of broadly speaking, not just about, you know, bringing resources back to the district, which, of course, every council member is trying to do. Right. Well, it's a great question. You know, I, I think I mentioned that I represent a three to one Democratic district. So it should come as no surprise to anyone that my voting record is uh, much more progressive than the other two Republicans who represent 
more homogeneous sort of white conservative areas. And I'm not knocking them in any way. They have a right to represent their voters and I have to represent mine. Um, you know, I've been a very strong supporter, uh, supporter and a, a proponent of uh, immigration reform and services that serve immigrants because I represent so many uh, newly arriving immigrants from uh, Guyana, from Trinidad, from the, the Dominican Republic. Uh, now, many more from uh, Asian Americans, people coming from uh, from um, um, China and uh, Korea, et cetera. So my point is that I had to be a lot more sensitive to the needs of uh, immigrant communities. And, uh, and I've been for 12 years a very strong supporter of my immigrant constituents. Uh, but on the social issues, too, I've, I've been much more liberal. You know, I am pro-choice. I do support marriage equality. I supported marriage equality before the Supreme Court did. Uh, and I'm very proud of that. Um, I've wanted people to know early on that there were no second class constituents, that people should not feel uh, disenfranchised in any way by the fact that I was uh, identifying myself as a Republican or that I was running as a Republican. So I believe that when people voted for me, they voted for me for me. They weren't voting for me because I was a Republican or because they love the things that the Republican Party stands for. Clearly, they, they don't, <laughs> you know, but uh, but the point is that I was a mo- I, I, I consider myself truly the last moderate Republican. If we used to call them Rockefeller Republicans that are socially liberal, fiscally conservative. You know, I, I have moderate views on education and public safety and I'm pro business uh, in the sense that I want to help small businesses thrive and grow and not saddle them with unnecessary regulations and and uh, burden them with all these uh, you know laws that make it harder for them to stay open but the point is that uh, on so many other issues yeah I am a lot more liberal than the other two Republicans and that has helped me in my district because my my democratic constituents know that I'm not lockstep in line um, with the Republican party on every issue and that I am not um, I'm not a right winger and the right wingers don't lit, win elections in my district. Neither do left wingers, by the way. The Democrats that I uh, I uh, share uh, districts with that we overlap, Joe Adabo and Stacey Pfeffer Amato and Jennifer Rajkumar and others, they're very moderate Democrats. These aren't mm-hmm. flaming liberals. And I think that, that that shows that, you know, there is room for a center lane in politics, even in places in New York City where people might not expect to find them. In parts of Queens... There are pockets of the borough that still like moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans. And this district happens to be one of them. Mm. Yeah. And we've obviously seen a lot of that conversation playing out throughout this 2021 election cycle. Not, you know, of course, in the mayoral race um, where it was, you know, so much of the conversation in the Democratic primary about the left wing versus more of the moderate candidates, um, but also in a variety of other other races uh, down to the local level. Um, and, and we'll get to the race to replace you in in just a second. In terms of your politics, um, you know, uh, a few months back, I interviewed Joe Loda, the 2013 Republican nominee for mayor who has left the party, registered as a Democrat. He, you know, couldn't couldn't stay in the party of Trump uh, and the party, you know, that has has so sort of fervently backed Donald Trump. Um, and so he he left the party or he the way he says it, the party left him. Um, I'm wondering how how you're feeling right now as someone who hasn't supported Donald Trump uh, watching, you know, what's happened with the Republican Party, especially just here in New York and how you are thinking about the future of the Republican Party here and how moderate Republicans, um, you know, could potentially sort of claw their way back into some more government power, um, if you think that's possible and, and how you how you're thinking about it as as you're looking at the end of your city council tenure. Well, um, let me just say this. In order for our democracy to thrive, I do believe fundamentally that we need a thriving and competitive two party system. It does not serve government or the people well when we have one party controlling every single branch of government at every single level and where there is no debate um, or disagreement on issues and people basically operate in a monolith. So uh, I do believe that for the sake of our democracy as a whole, you know, just taking a broader step back, we do need the Republicans and the Democrats fighting with each other, keeping each other honest, keeping each other in check, 
and uh, and debating the issues that people care about. You know, no one party has a monopoly on good ideas. And there are lots of ideas that uh, were adopted from the Republican Party and also from the Democratic Party, similarly, when we had a Republican governor or mayor. So uh, that being said, um, you know, it, it is a very tough time, I think, for Republicans in general. Uh, Donald Trump was defeated in the presidential election, um, and the Republicans have lost a lot of ground, particularly in the Northeast in certain places. Uh, but I do think that politics is a pendulum. It swings to the left. It's sometimes not in New York, but in other places it might swing to the right. But it always does come back to the center. Most New Yorkers, most Americans, I would argue, are in that center lane, do consider themselves, you know, middle of the road, common sense uh, people who just want to go about their lives, support their families, follow the rules and the laws uh, of the land and, uh, and, and create a better life for themselves and for their families. Um, I don't believe for a second that most New Yorkers or most Americans are far left or far right. And I wish that there was a, a, a way for us to get away from that narrative that you have to be AOC if you're a Democrat and you have to love Donald Trump if you're a Republican. Because I know plenty of Democrats that don't like AOC or Bill de Blasio. And I know plenty of Republicans that aren't crazy about Donald Trump either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there has to be, we need a two party system for the sake of our democracy. And as messed up as things are, or, or as depressing as things are for Republicans in places like New York, um, we have to find our way. And there has to be a little bit of soul searching. And once we can get back to the bread and butter issues and talking about the things that people really care about, Instead of obsessing over these wedge issues and the things that really uh, don't play well in New York, then uh, then I think we can get back to winning elections again. Mm-hmm. One of the things, um, and maybe we can maybe we can talk if we have time a little further down the road in this conversation about a little bit more of the path back for Republicans in New York. I mean, it is you know it is interesting that Curtis Lee will wound up being the uh, the party's nominee here in the mayoral race. I should note, uh, and we'll get back to this in a second, that you're supporting Eric Adams, the Democratic nominee, who clearly took you know much more of the moderate lane, although he's got a very interesting brew of, of positions on a wide variety of issues, uh, you know, a very much a moderate lane on things like policing and education um, in the primary uh, winning that. Um, but it is interesting, you know, that Curtis Lee will end up the Republican nominee. Maybe we can come back to that in a minute. But um, the race to replace you seems, correct me if I'm wrong from your vantage point, but, you know, it seems a little bit like um uh, the opposite of what you're saying we need, because it seems like we have a pretty left wing Democrat and a pretty right wing Republican in this in this general election to replace you uh, in Felicia Singh for the Democrats and Joanne Ariola for the Republicans. Um, talk a little bit about this race. You're supporting Joanne Ariola. Um, talk a little bit about this race and, and what you see sort of at stake and playing out here. Well, look, um, I would say that Joanne Ariola is the common sense candidate. I would say she's a moderate. Uh, she doesn't uh, share all the views that I have, but uh, she, I do consider her a moderate. Uh, and I would agree with you that Felicia Singh is definitely um, a left wing candidate. She supports defunding uh, the police. Uh, she uh, embraces a lot of uh, de Blasio's uh, uh, rhetoric, and uh, she was endorsed by AOC. She was in that list of endorsements that they released prior to the Democratic primary. Felicia Singh, interestingly enough, did not uh, win the Democratic primary on primary day. She actually came in second and won on the third uh, round of ranked choice voting. So she did not get the most votes on primary day. She benefited from ranked choice voting. She was one of only a handful of candidates in the city to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were other other South Asian candidates on the ballot. And I think that she definitely benefited uh, from that because a lot of their votes did go, were redistributed to Felicia uh, in the second and third round. Uh, but that's inside baseball. The point is that Felicia- well, it all, I, I mean, it also shows, it, yeah, it, show, it shows something of a, of a broad base of support in a in a crowded primary. But, but anyway, it go does. It does, for sure. Uh, but that being said, I, I do believe that Felicia- represents um, a more radical worldview um, and is not a good fit for the district. She would be better off running in Park Slope or in Long Island City 
or in other parts of the city that are much more progressive, where the voters want to hear about those things. I don't believe that in a community where so many retired cops and firemen and civil servants, basically a blue collar district like mine, I don't think that this is this is the right place for her. Um, and I don't think that her views reflect the values of the voters of this district. And so I've been very outspoken, more so than I normally would be, not because it's, quote unquote, my seat, but because I think that she is not a good reflection of the district as a whole. And some of her politics are quite divisive. I don't think she would be a good fit. And I don't think she would be able to do a good job uniting my constituents and representing all of my constituents if she were to be successful next Tuesday. Are you, um, just to be clear, when you say not the right place for her, you mean politically, you don't mean the district politically, is not. Politically, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I want to, you know, I want to make may, sure. May, may, maybe it's a poor choice of words, yeah. but the point that I'm trying to make is that um, she does not reflect the values of the voters of the district and that her politics are more aligned with voters that live in more progressive communities. And I named some of and, them. And, yeah. And and what about the concerns from, uh, you know, some of the communities that will most, you know, will most likely vote for her in large numbers within the district that, you know, they want to see uh, that, that they're concerned that Joanne Ariola would not represent their interests. I mean, obviously, this right. is a real melting pot of a, of a district and and has, you know, as we discussed earlier, a lot of diversity to it. There's a lot of diversity. And some of those neighborhoods, by the way, Ben, have voted for me in the last mm-hmm. election. So, yes, as, they are. As you say, you're, you're more more in the middle than than Joanne. Well, I mean, I, I would say that I had more name recognition. I had more of a track mm-hmm. record. And I think that I had, you know, nine years or eight years under my belt to prove to them uh, what I was all about. Joanne, um, you know, if she's elected, she'll only have two years to do that. But a lot of those communities that Felicia's, uh, you know, purporting that uh, needs to be empowered, I've been representing those communities. I have been empowering them. I have been responsive to them. And they have voted for me in the same communities that rejected Donald Trump, that don't vote Republicans, that are overwhelmingly five and six to one Democrat in those parts of the district. I won a lot of those election districts mm-hmm. <laughs> in my last re-election. So uh, the point is that th- all politics is local yeah. and my district votes for people, not parties. Right. Yeah. No, it'll be very interesting. I mean, uh, again, you know, removing the, the the sort of powers of incumbency, the name recognition, the also obviously the opportunity to have to prove yourself. You know, it's a wide open election uh, for the first time in a while, given that you've, you've been in office since 2009. So it'll be very interesting to see how this turns out. Definitely, um, you know, definitely one of the most interesting races in the city. We've we've only you know, we've we've covered at Gotham Gazette just a few of the city council races that look to be the most competitive. And this is obviously one of the ones that looks, you know, who knows what the outcome will be. It could be a runaway uh, one way or the other, um, but most likely, you know, a fairly competitive election here. That I think it's going to be very competitive. Yeah. Felicia's run a very uh, aggressive campaign. She's a very hard worker. Um, and I think that she speaks to uh, issues and to communities that uh, often feel forgotten. And I don't want to uh, take away from that in any way. You know, she, she won the primary fair and square and uh, and she's representing her views and her values. Joanne is doing the same. They're going to battle it out between now and Tuesday. And when the polls close, uh, whatever happens, I will make sure that there's a smooth transition. I will respect uh, and honor the the, uh, the will of the voters. And I'm happy to pass the torch to whomever is elected next Tuesday. 2009 to through 2021 here uh, in the city council, when you pass the torch, um, what are what are a couple of the biggest lessons that you've learned over this pretty long city council tenure? Um, as you note, the winner of this election will only have a two year term because of redistricting. So there's another city council election coming up pretty soon. Um, but what what will be a couple of the real big lessons you've learned over the course of of that tenure that you'll pass pass on to whoever your successor is? Well, I mean, I, if I could offer some advice, and I'm I'm happy to do that, you know, in a in a over a cup of coffee or over a letter, <laughs> however they want it. Um, 
You know, a couple of things. Your greatest asset is your time. And it's a big district. And there's not enough hours or minutes in a day to be responsive to every single neighborhood, every single constituent, every single issue all of the time. So managing your time is the most important thing. And balancing your time is equally important, especially if you have a family. Um, You know, I remember... My daughter's birth. My daughter will be nine on Halloween. Her birthday's Halloween. Uh, oh, happy birthday! And I remember when she turned uh, three years old. I had to rush the birthday cake because I had to get to Rockaway uh, for a very important community event that was taking place, and I, I needed to be out there. And uh, I remember like rushing my family, uh, who was gathered in my apartment at the time, to like you know let's let's cut the cake and get the show on the road here. I got to run. Politics is like a jealous lover. And it will take you away from all of the other things in your life that are important. You have to manage your time efficiently, um, res- responsibly, uh, but also in a way that, that provides a balance. People who are machines, political machines that don't have a life outside of politics are very dangerous people, in my opinion. And you have to do a better job balancing your time, managing your time, and, um, and you know not letting the job control you in that way. So I would offer that to any member of the council who gets elected or reelected, do a better job managing your time because I I fell into that trap many, many times and and it cost me dearly. Mm. Uh, Secondly, aside from uh, managing your time, uh, I would say that there are no, I'll I'll give you the advice that Jimmy Otto gave me on my first day at city council. Of course, he's term limited too now. And he's a, what a great elected official he was and a mentor in so many ways. Uh, Jimmy Otto told me, I don't want to see you around here. And I was kind of insulted at the time because I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, He said, there are no votes in City Hall. You come here, you vote, and you leave. Go back to your district. And it was the best advice that anybody had ever given me up until that point. So uh, I would argue the same. Go to City Council, pass your bills, co-sponsor legislation that's important to your constituents. But there's no need to be hanging out in the members' lounge all day or in the rotunda, or schmoozing on the steps, you know, until the cows come home. My point is that you are elected by your constituents. They hire you and they fire you. You are responsive to the people that you represent. And you must, you must spend more time in your community than rubbing elbows with lobbyists and consultants and colleagues and other people at City Hall. It does not serve your constituents mm-hmm. well. And I've seen the folks who spend a lot of time sipping coffee, hanging out, at City Hall, and I've seen the people that come in, do their job, and turn around and go back to their districts. And the ones that go back to their districts do a much better job, in my opinion. So you led me to my next question uh, perfectly, um, which is, you mentioned Jimmy Otto. You and Jimmy Otto are two of the, you know, few Republican elected officials in the city. He's obviously the Staten Island Borough President, but before that, as as you sort of get out there, he was in the city council, minority leader. You're both term limited, uh, neither of you running for higher office in this election cycle. How is that possible? And how is it that the New York Republican Party didn't get it together in some way to, to get you guys to run for higher office? I mean, whether it's a uh, public advocate or mayor or something uh, or contr- controller, you know, there's obviously the citywide seats, but, you know, there's borough, you know, borough wide opportunities. Um how is, how is that that neither of you are running this year for, for higher office? Well, I think Jimmy and I are at different stages in our lives, mm-hmm. uh, personally and professionally. And uh, he is such a talented, sharp, smart guy and such an honest guy. I mean, I've always said he, he's, almost, he's almost too good to be in politics because <laughs> he's, not, he's not a shrewd, you know, operator. Um, he doesn't have sharp elbows. I mean, he has a colorful past with the cursing and everything, but who doesn't? You know, that was I know people like to bring that up all the time. But um, but Jimmy is is almost too good for this business in a lot of ways. Um, And uh, that's the way he was raised. He never forgot, I think, uh, the lessons that his dad taught him and how hard his his mom and dad worked. And he's he's just such a great guy. Um, You know, sometimes uh, we need to take a step back. That's not to say that that he or I won't run for something in the future. But as of right now, you know, he has served honorably for over 20 years in government. And I don't want to say he's had enough because I don't want to speak for him. But Mm -hmm. I don't think he's I don't think he's jumping 
<laughs> I don't think he's jumping at the chance to run for anything anytime soon. And, uh, and neither am I. I've had 12 and a half great years in the city council. I've run four times in my district. I ran twice uh, for two other offices, for public advocate and for state senate in 12, which I was unsuccessful. But I've run mm -hmm. six times in 12 years. That's a lot of running. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to the next chapter, whatever that may be. And I, I would argue that Jimmy's doing the same. But he's such a great, great guy. He's such an asset. I have a feeling that we're not going to lose him, in a sense. Just because he's not running for office doesn't mean that he won't be around. Jimmy Otto is a, is a great asset. And I think that it, regardless of party, any governor or mayor would be lucky to have him on their team on, in, in a high-level administration role because he's just such a sharp guy. He gets it. You know, right. he gets it and he knows how government works and he knows how government doesn't work, too. He's great. Yeah. He you know, when we talked to him uh, when I was still hosting this co-hosting this podcast with Jarrett Murphy of City Limits, who who nobly moved on to nursing school a few months ago, um, we, we visited him at Staten Island Borough Hall a, a little while back and talked to him about this. And he you know, he sort of just said, you know, um, that he's indicated he's interested in, in continuing to serve in government, but he didn't think he'd be running for anything else anytime. It just, it's always struck me that if, you know, Republicans who are in such dire straits here in New York city in terms of power, can't get, you know, Jimmy Otto to run for mayor as he's, you know, reaching his term limits uh, as borough president, you know, there's something, something seems off there about where the, what the party's doing and where the party's heading Obviously, uh, winding up with Curtis Lee was a Republican nominee has its own advantages and disadvantages. And we'll get to that in a second. But um, just always struck me as strange. But, you know, obviously, there's a lot of complicating factors there uh, for for Jimmy and for the and for the party. Um, so we'll see. And, you know, he's talked about wanting to be uh, wanting to still be in city government. So we'll see what the next mayor might uh, might or may not offer him. You almost ran in 2017 against Bill de Blasio. Do you regret not doing that? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not the right race for me. Uh, when I run, I run to win. I don't want to run just to make a statement or to fly the flag, carry the banner. Uh, I run to win. And I, I didn't see the path at that time. And, um, you know, I knew that it would be defeating any incumbent, by the way, is always challenging. It's never easy. It doesn't matter what you're running for. The, the power of the incumbency, I think, is... Uh, underestimated in a lot of ways uh, by a lot of people, but but it, it shouldn't be. So despite all of his flaws, and there are many, uh, de Blasio, I believe, was going to be reelected, and I don't want to run to lose. Who wants to run to lose? So mm -hmm. uh, you would need a lot of money, uh, lightning in a bottle, and uh, and a set of other things to happen in order for that to, to happen. And and clearly it didn't, you know, and Nicole ran and others ran, and, and uh, de Blasio hey, helped, helped her get elected to Congress, though. For sure. But I wasn't running. I wasn't using that to run for any other right. office. I, I did wind up running in the special election for public advocate. I, there were 17 candidates, as you recall, I was on sure. your show and I came in second and I had the Daily News and the Post and I won the borough of Queens. I think I was the, the only Republican since uh, Mike Bloomberg to win Queens and, and Staten Island. And um, and I got more votes than three and four combined than Michael Blake and, and uh, Melissa Mark Reverito. So I think that people were making a statement there. I thought maybe we had a shot, but, you know, Jamani ran away with it and, and uh, he, you know, he worked his tail off and, and clearly that was his time. And that, that was the time for him to really shine. And, um, you know, it's hard to run against friends because Jamani mm -hmm. and I have been friends for, for years and we don't agree on a heck of a lot, but, uh, but, you know, he's a great guy and he's been a great friend and it's hard to run against friends because you can't say anything negative about, it, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that, that's also a challenge, too, is that you become friends with a lot of these people, even though you don't agree with them on a lot. You do be, you know, you go to each other's family wakes and you go, I was at Jamani's wedding when my grandfather died. He came to the wake. I mean, we text mm -hmm. each other on a regular basis. He's been very, very supportive on a personal level. And um, and I think he's got a bright future, by the way. I, th mm -hmm. I think people, Jamani Williams, people should wow. um, they should not poo poo him in any way. Mm -hmm. He's a hard worker and uh, he has a base of support. And I don't agree with his politics. And, you know, I didn't vote for him when he when we ran against each other. <laughs> but, but I think yeah. I think people underestimate him. 
I think yeah. people underestimate him too. And he's, he's got a bright future. He's well, hard work. Yeah, I yeah. I think at this point, you know, with winning that election and then doing fairly well in the Lieutenant governor race, he ran, I think, I don't think too many people are downplaying him at this point. And looks like he, he may, may jump into this gubernatorial primary. So we'll see where that goes. Um, I don't want to keep you too, too long. So maybe, maybe uh, let me, let me try to get to a couple other things with you here. I'm talking with city council member, Eric Ulrich of Queens, um, a different part of Queens than, than I hail from, but we, but we, sh- we do share a birthday, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, so listen, the, the, the decision to back Eric Adams in this mayoral race for you seems, I don't know, it's a little bit, obviously you, you share some politics, you know, he's a, he's a fairly moderate Democrat, you're a fairly moderate Republican. So there's some crossover there. It also seems a little bit like, you know, reading the, the writing on the wall that he's almost certain to win. T- t- tell me a little bit more about, you know, that decision. Well, I, I think your analysis is a little off. And uh, I just want to let you know that uh, I was backing Eric Adams three years ago yes. when people were fawning over Scott Stringer, uh-huh. when consultants and people were telling me that I shouldn't be going against Corey Johnson because at the time he was running for mayor or thinking of running for mayor when everybody was telling me that we were going to have Ruben Diaz as the Democratic nominee. So I was, I've been friends with Eric Adams. I'm a personal friend of his. I consider myself a, uh, a I'm a very loyal person um, and I'm very loyal to my friends. And I told Eric Adams three years ago when he told me that he was serious and that he wanted to run for mayor, I said, count me in, let me know how I can help. And I've been on board uh, the roller coaster ever since. So you know, it, it's not like, oh, I backed him when it looked like he was going to win or when he started surging in the polls or when one of the other candidates dropped out. I literally have been there since day one. OK. Uh, pro, you know, when when he when everybody told me why he wasn't going to be mayor, he used to be a registered Republican. He used to. He said this. He said that we have these tapes. It didn't mean a damn thing. And I knew that he was going to win uh, because he was he was the most authentic person in the race. And because he wanted to be the mayor for all New Yorkers, everybody else was running for mayor. He actually wanted to be the mayor. That was the difference, uh, the bottom line. And uh, that's why he won. And I'm glad he did, because I think, honest to God, he's going to be a great mayor. I know a lot of people Mm. have concerns, but I'm telling you, he lives, eats, breathes and sleeps this. He wants to make the city a better place. He doesn't care about the ideology, the geography, the baggage. He doesn't get involved in all the nonsense. He really cares about the city and he wants to make things better for the people that live in the city. And that's why he won the primary. That's why he's going to trounce Curtis Sliwa, hands down. I'm predicting 75-25 on election day. No, that would be, that would a be mandate. Quite, quite a margin. Um, the... The menu for you as a longtime Eric Adams friend and uh, supporter here, the menu for you and your future must include then possibly working working in his administration. Is that on your on your radar? I mean, I, I won't I don't want to presume anything because he still has to win on Tuesday. I wouldn't rule it out. I'd be honored to uh, be helpful to him and to uh, serve in his administration. But uh, I do have other options. Uh, this is not a decision that I made for self-interested purposes. Sure. Uh, nobody, nobody did this for a job. Nobody was promised anything. I mean, three years ago, nobody was in a position to promise anything. So uh, my point is that I did it because he's my friend, because I believe in him, mm-hmm. uh, and because I think he's going to make a great New Yorker, a great well, uh, mayor for all New Yorkers, and I really believe in him. What, what kind? What what kind of things would you be interested in doing in a mayoral administration? I'm, I'm just, oh, I don't, just curious. I don't know. You know that it wouldn't be what I would be interested in in doing. <laughs> it would be it would be whatever he thought uh, would be a good fit for the people. Uh-huh. He needs the best and the brightest people mm-hmm. around him. And I'm hoping, and I believe he will, uh, appoint a very diverse administration that that reflects the uh, the diversity of the city. The, 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 that fabric that David Dinkins always talked about, right? That, uh, uh, that uh, some the people have described mosaic. it as this, the gorgeous mm-hmm. mosaic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he really believes in that. And, uh, and so, you know, you, you will see black, white, Latino, South Asian. You will see gay, straight. You will see male and female. And, and hopefully uh, you will see some ideological diversity as well. We, we can't have City Hall 
uh, operating as an echo chamber for the left. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that it's a big city. He's got to have the best and the brightest. And he has to surround himself with the people uh, who care about the city as much as he does. This is not a job fair for politicians. Uh, it's not a, it's not a uh, you know, feeding frenzy for people that are looking for jobs. Uh, well, that's one, you know, that's one of the biggest concerns that people, right, that people have about Eric Adams, someone who's been around a long time, who is very close with some of the, you know, some of the county party machinery and, you know, has a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, institutional support and elected official support. Obviously, that can signal some very good things, well, but I mean, the, that, the that's queen, one of the, the queen, concerns. The Queen's, the Queen's Democratic Party did not support Eric Adams. Greg Meeks supported wow. Ray McGuire. You know, the Manhattan Democratic Party did not endorse Eric Adams. I mean, there were elected officials who did. I think it was and the Staten Island did not. So I I believe that it was only the Brooklyn and the Bronx Democratic uh, Party that uh, officially endorsed him. He was not the favorite in this race. Remember that. Uh, Everybody was with Scott. Oh, come on, Ben. You know better. Let's stop. I think there were very, I think there were different theories going in about who is who is strongest. There was absolutely, I agree with you. There was a lot of a lot of talk that it would be a more sort of left, you know, leftist leader who is speaking more to the progressive wing, and Scott Stringer was seen as as a bit more of a favorite, but Eric Adams was right there all the time. I mean, people talk, you know, he was obviously a very strong candidate from the start. Well, he was the most disciplined candidate too. Oh, he ran a great campaign. No question. He ran a, he ran a great campaign and he won fair and square. And, uh, you know, look, I'm just saying you're getting, you're definitely getting at one of the concerns that's out there. I'm sure you know that, that, you know, that there's going to, he want, he's, he's very smart in a lot of the things he's saying and thinking about, government but at the same time he's also got a lot of this institutional support that there's concerns that in some cases he won't go with the you know the best person for the job that he'll go with someone who you know he might think he owes a favor to or who no, you know, nothing nothing could be further from the truth and there are two two okay. groups of people that you will find after January 1st the first group of people will be the ones who are profoundly disappointed that they didn't get a job And those are the people that thought that they were entitled to something or that he owed them something. He doesn't owe anybody a damn thing. He will hire the best and the brightest. There's no doubt about it. The second group of people uh, will be the people who were his detractors and the people who said that he was going to hire all the hacks and and the favors and all that stuff. And those people are going to be pleasantly surprised you know, at, at the unique talent that he brings in from the city and from outside of the city to manage all of his agencies. He, um, you know, immediately after winning next Tuesday, will embark on, you know, a, an exercise and a journey to really seek out and find the most talented, dynamic, charismatic, but smart people to help us right the ship. He knows that so many agencies are dysfunctional. He has talked about that um, ad nauseum, right? But he also knows that in order to fix it, you have to have competency. And I think that you will see a blended administration of individuals who um, who understand that and who are in line with his vision for the city. Because ultimately, people voted for him. They didn't vote for the police commissioner. They didn't vote for the sanitation commissioner. They, vote, they don't vote for the buildings commissioner. They vote for the mayor. All the roads lead back to the mayor and uh, people who are accountable to him, people that are responsive to New Yorkers, but people who are competent. People in general will be either disappointed or or they will be pleasantly surprised and gratified. But the idea that, that he is going to turn City Hall or city agencies over to the party bosses or to the machines or to the special interest groups, I can assure you, even if they are pushing that narrative or peddling that, they will be profoundly, profoundly disappointed and let down after January 1st because he won't do it. His, you know, the future of the city is at stake and he takes it very seriously. He talks about it often in public and private. And um, he, he's, he's not going to muck this up. Trust me. Mm-hmm. He, he really, really, really okay. does want to turn the city around. A vote, a vote of confidence there from a longtime supporter. All right, last two minutes here. Uh, give us one or two things that your constituents or people across the city should know that you're trying to get done here in the city council before the clock runs out. What's, what's top of the list for your priorities here in the final weeks? 
Well, listen, um, after next Tuesday, the priority will be ensuring a smooth transition, making sure that uh, whoever's elected uh, has all the information and the resources that they need and the cooperation that they need uh, so that it's a smooth transition on January 1st that they can hit the ground running and build upon whatever it is that I was able to accomplish and also uh, start setting into motion the things that they want to do and uh, executing their own vision for the district. So I think this, ensuring the smooth transition is really important. Um, aside from that, it will be winding down some of my own uh, projects and things that I'm working on. We have a, a Jamaica Bay cleanup uh, that is in the third phase, third year of funding. Uh, we've identified several de derelict boats and uh, uh, marine debris that we're trying to remove from Jamaica Bay. That's something that I've worked very uh, closely with the uh, environmental groups on, and it's uh, thankfully it's resulted in dozens of uh, dozens of very uh, dangerous uh, boats that have been uh, neglected and abandoned, and uh, not only an eyesore but uh, bad for the environment. So. Uh, you know, the, that initiative is something I'm very proud of. Um, also, uh, helping so many of my small businesses who are still struggling to recover since uh, COVID uh, stay in business, uh, connecting them with the resources and the tools that they need to, uh, to stay in business. That's very important. I think most people would agree with that. And, uh, and meeting with all the agencies to see what unfinished business there is uh, that can be addressed. Uh, but I'm still accessible to my constituents. I want them to know that up until the very last day, I'm going to return their phone calls, return their emails, and be responsive to them. They don't elect you only until election day. They vote for you until the end of your term. I have a job to do. Take the job seriously. I was honored to do it for 12 and a half years, but we're going to turn the keys over on January 1st, and we're going to make sure that whoever gets elected has what they need to do a great job. When they succeed, you know, the constituents um, will succeed and they will win too. All right. Uh, we will leave it there on a, on a hopeful, optimistic note about uh, good government and, and transitions and smooth transitions and finishing up loose ends and then passing the torch. Um, Eric Ulrich, we will uh, be in touch as you, as you figure out what's next. Uh, keep, us, keep us in the loop and uh, appreciate you taking some time. Thanks, Ben. All right. Good talking with you.